Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me today. Um, if you're a regular listener, you might have noticed that it's been close to a month since I put out an episode. And um, to tell you the truth, it's been absolutely nuts here. For some reason, my clients have come back with a vengeance, and I have been working like a crazy person, including a travel job that took me out of town for a week. And um, and actually, more accurately, I've been working like a normal person, but that doesn't leave me a lot of time for podcasting. So I'm, uh, I'm I will be psyched to get back to my leisurely ten to fifteen hour work weeks, which will enable me to get back to being obsessed with investing and yammering on to you about retirement planning. So. Let's get right to it. The first thing I want to talk about is something that we've all been hearing about every day, inflation. I, I know that you can't turn on the news today without hearing about inflation, but this weekend I came across one component that nobody's talking about. So let's call this your Rogue Retirement Lounge exclusive, and you heard it here first. So this weekend, the cover story uh, on the Weekend Wall Street Journal was the 40-year high inflation rate that uh, numbers that came out based on the CPI. Uh, and, you know, and by the way, if you subscribe to the Wall Street Journal digital edition, they will throw in the weekend paper version for free delivered to your door. Well, depending on the city you're, that you live in, if you're way out in the boondocks, you might be out of luck. But I got to tell you, as a Gen Xer who grew up reading newspapers, I love digging into my real, physical, tangible, tactile paper version of the journal every weekend. Uh, one of life's simple pleasures. And not to go off on too much of a tangent, but seriously, if you were to only give yourself one source of domestic and international news, that weekend edition of the journal would give you everything you need. Uh, and for the most part, it's real journalism by real journalists. Uh, but I digress. So anyway, this weekend's cover story included, uh, the cover story about inflation included little graphs showing the annual price inflation in maybe like a dozen sectors like food, fuel, and whatnot. And then down at the bottom, it showed a little year-over-year -year increase in rents, and that that rate was in the threes, okay? So I can't remember the exact number, and I've already recycled the paper, but but that struck me as odd. And I've talked about the government's underreporting or downright lying about price inflation, so I tend to ignore everything that I read relating to these numbers. But yesterday, I decided I need some clarity on that because there's no fucking way that rents have only gone up three point whatever percent. So I went to the source, the BLS website, and if you want to check it out, you can go to bls.gov and just look for the consumer price index. So get this, in their November report, the one that everyone's screaming about with that overall 6.8% increase number, uh, there's a line item for rent. And it's called rent of primary residence, and they have it at 3.0%, okay? So everyone is just going to take this at face value? Well, I admit, when I'm building out my pro formas for the rental properties before I buy, I do just happen to plug in 3% for my projected annual rent increases. So that said, there's no way I believe that rents are only up 3%. So let's go to the source. If you go to multi-housing news, they've got a November 2021 rent report, which quotes Yardi Matrix's latest survey, which revealed the national average rent for multifamily housing rose 13.7% year over year through October to a new high national average of $1,572. And for single family homes, 
they were up 14.7%. So that brings up the question, if the BLS in calculating the CPI can understate the national average rent increase by a whopping 10% or more, how much else are they understating the other numbers by? You know, um, and the thing is, if you're calculating an index of this sort, you have to give weights to the different items in your baskets, right? I mean, meaning I, I'm going to spend a lot more of my total income on rents than I'm going to spend on, say, electricity, which, by the way, was up 6.5%. Or alcoholic beverages, which were up 1.9%, or say motor vehicle maintenance, which was up 4.9%. So you get my point, right? In general, people spend at least 30% of their income on rent, and that number is higher for lower income families, and it's rising for all income levels. So if the expense that you spend 30 plus percent of your income on has gone up over 13%, you are screwed. And nobody's nobody's talking about it. Nobody's pushing back on this round of the CPI uh, with rent listed at only 3%. So you heard it here first. So if you have children, uh, adult children, talk to them about these rent numbers. Help them figure out a way to buy a house ASAP. You know, the 30-year mortgage in its most simple terms is rent control for life. Anyway, the main takeaway that I want to leave you with is that price inflation, as reported by our government indexes, is likely nowhere close to reality for most of us. And part of retirement planning is determining ways to avoid the two biggest wealth killers, inflation and taxes. So think about it and question every number you see. Um, so next up, I want to talk about something that's really getting under my skin lately, and that's the politicization of economic indicators, economic indicators such as inflation. Now, I realize that ever since we've been adults, you can pretty much tell how someone votes after a five-minute discussion of the economy. That's been true for years, but the tribalism and divisiveness that we've experienced in the last maybe five or ten years has caused many people, especially young, idealistic, malinformed people, to hold and trumpet beliefs relating to the economy that are seriously 180 degrees from the truth. So what the hell am I talking about? Well, lately, it's becoming fashionable on the left to downplay the inflation rate. And I know it's crazy. And if you haven't witnessed this, you might not believe me because it makes so little sense. I mean, in general, millennials and Gen Z progressives are on the side of justice and economic equality for the poor and the middle class. So playing down inflation, which is the single biggest destroyer of wealth for these groups, is completely absurd. Um, I'm not going to bore you with a long list of these journalists who are out there spreading this disinformation, but I do want to point out a young woman who's a great example of this very odd uh, but pretty easy to explain movement. Her name is Sarah Jong, J-E-O-N-G. And she's a, quote, uh, tech culture journalist who did a short stint on the New York Times editorial board. And now she does contract writing jobs for various online publications. And she's got over 100,000 followers on Twitter. Twitter, for those of you who are my age uh, and might not know this, is the sole source of news for literally millions of people. So a few weeks ago, oh, and by the way, I spend a lot of time on Twitter these days just because if you're following the right people, it's a great source of up-to-the-minute info on the crypto space. Uh, so if you look for people like Will Clemente, TechDev, and uh, Willie Wu and other crypto analysts, you'll thank me for that later. But anyway, so a few weeks back, Sarah Jong blasted out a few tweets sharing her opinion of the overblown nature of the current inflation rate. 
like this one, quote, all the stuff you see about inflation in the news is driven by rich people flipping their shit because their parasitic assets aren't doing as well as they'd like, and they're scared that unemployment benefits plus stimmy checks plus $15 minimum wage plus labor shortage is why. Okay, that was one of her tweets. After that, she had a tweet that went kind of viral that said this. Wow, the working class's income is keeping pace with or outstripping inflation, but my capital gains aren't. Boo fucking who? Okay, so I saw this and I thought, well, she she looks like she's probably about 30 years old. And I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. She's probably just not very bright. Um, like And like many people her age, she probably thinks that pe rich people are evil. Um, and, you know, you don't have to be particularly smart to be a good writer. And clearly, she's not a finance writer. But then I saw another tweet that she issued, which really caught my attention. She sent out a link to an article on a site called Full Stack Economics with the title, No, the real inflation isn't 15%. Okay, now this is where shit gets weird because I'm just going to read the first paragraph of this article. Okay, it starts with, Last week, the Bureau of Labor Statistics announced that the official inflation rate had soared to 6.2% in October, the highest level in decades. But some conspiracy-minded analysts insist that the true inflation rate is much higher. Last Wednesday, for example, self-help guru Jordan Peterson tweeted a chart that purports to show the year-over-year -year inflation rate is almost 15%, not 6%. Now, if you went on to read the whole article, um, and I have a link to it in the show notes, but the basic gist is that some people are quoting inflation figures from shadow stats, and the author wants to tear down the shadow stats model. Okay, so first off, um, I did a mini deep dive on inflation way back in episode 12, um, and if I do say so myself, it was uh, pretty good. Um, but anyway, I talked about shadow stats and how it might be overstating inflation a bit, but the CPI way understates the real inflation rate. Like, for example, that rent figure that I was just talking about. So and now back to this article and note that this is not journalism. This is editorial. It's opinion. And how do you know? Well, I'm not going to reread the whole first paragraph, but the second sentence reads, but some conspiracy minded analysts insist that the true inflation rate is much higher. OK, so when you need to impugn the people that you disagree with that early on in your thesis by calling them conspiracy-minded, you're not reporting, you're just issuing your opinion. And chances are your position isn't super strong if you need to go there so quickly. So what's my point? Well, it's not about the merit or lack of merit in the methodology of shadow stats. And my point isn't that the, the bullshit non-information that young people are absorbing is journalism today. It's just that there's a concerted effort out there to minimize the perceived impact that inflation has. Um, another left-leaning thought leader on Twitter, a guy named Jim Kessler, posted a link to a Wall Street Journal article with the comment, inflation continues to look like a temporary transitory problem that is mostly working itself out. Okay, so this guy's basically parroting uh, Jerome Powell's kind of bullshit transitory term that everyone recently has quietly stopped using. Now, if it were just Gen Z pseudo journalists and social media influencers downplaying the threat of inflation, it wouldn't be that big of a deal and it wouldn't have caught my eye. But get this headline from the Washington Post from a September 14th article. 
Prices rise 5.3% in August over last year in an early sign that inflation could be easing. Okay, uh, another example is uh, White House Council of Economic Advisors Chairman Jason Furman. He tweeted that the economic issues such as inflation and supply chain disruptions were merely, quote, high class problems. Then Press Secretary Jen Psaki mocked concerns over the supply chain issues as, quote, the tragedy of the treadmill that's delayed. And and then Pete Buttigieg went even further, saying that uh, shortages are actually a demonstration of the success of the Biden administration's economic plan. So whatever the reason, our progressive friends from the top down are pretending inflation and supply chain issues are not a problem. And people believe this horseshit. I mean, People are trying to make us believe that this is only a problem for the rich. And it's it's just weird because rich people are rich because they hold assets, okay? Many of these assets, like, say, real estate and whatnot, increase in value in lockstep with inflation, whereas poor people who don't own assets get asymmetrically screwed by inflation because wages, despite what Sarah Jong may tweet, are not keeping up with inflation. Anyway. I just find this politicization and denial of truth relating to the economy weird and a little bit disturbing. Um, I'm sure that everyone was probably trying to shape public opinion in the lead up to the Build Back Better bill. But in doing so, I think they're doing a disservice to people who don't quite understand how the economy and their personal finance situation interact. And one one more note, not relating to the economy. So I think by now we've all heard about these big orchestrated smash and grab robberies that seem to have started in California, but have, have made their way well into flyover country. Well, again, this is kind of an irrefutable phenomenon. People have actual video footage of these events where hordes of people come in and, and rob the shit out of these stores and retailers are having to shorten hours and hire increased private security in the wake of these things. But 32-year-old waitress Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is gaslighting us about this situation as well. She told the Washington Times that, quote, a lot of these allegations of organized retail theft are actually not panning out and referred to a, quote, Walgreens in California that cited the issue but didn't have the, quote, data to back it up, okay? And young people are going to take her statements and believe them, which is really sad. Now, in response to AOC's dismissal or denial of the problem, a spokesman for the RILA or the Retail Industry Leaders Association said, respectfully, the congresswoman has no idea what she's talking about. Both the data and stack of video evidence makes fairly clear that this is a growing problem in need of solutions. If she is not concerned with organized theft and increasingly violent attacks on retail employees, she should just say that. Well said. Okay, sermon over. Uh, next up, yet another survey just came out. Well, actually, it came out a month or so ago, painting a grim picture of the retirement preparedness uh, for most Americans. Now, I know... Nobody needs another survey to show how behind many of us are in our retirement planning, but this one had an interesting and scary bit, and that is that 48.9% of women have less than $25,000 saved for retirement, compared to 35.6% of men. So the gender gap in retirement savings is wide, according to this survey, at least. Um now, speaking of retirement savings, how much are you putting away lately? When I talk to people lately, I pretty 
bluntly say, if you're not putting away at least a thousand bucks a month toward retirement, you need a side hustle. Of course, this varies widely depending on who you are, but I think a thousand bucks a month is a good median entry point. You got to be doing it. So I've mentioned before that I do a couple of different side hustles, you know, when things get slow. And long story short, I've got a couple of episodes coming up specifically about side hustles. So stay tuned for those because seriously, now more than ever, it's very easy to make an extra grand a month. And I, along with a couple pretty cool guests, I'm going to show you how. So next up, crypto myths and misinformation. I just want to really quickly share something with you related to Bitcoin. So now, right now, we are getting to the point where kind of like back in the end of 2017, where everyone's talking about Bitcoin, including my 87-year-old dad, your Uber drivers, uh, the kids at Starbucks. Um but as it increasingly shows up in our daily conversations, the misinformation comes right along with it. And the other day I was talking with a friend of mine who knows pretty much nothing about Bitcoin, and he brought up the anti-Bitcoin cliche about it being a waste of energy that consumes more power than many small countries. And I, you know, and I got to say, by saying that, my buddy sounded about as savvy as Elizabeth Warren, you know, and actually Elizabeth Warren has used that exact same argument. And if you choose not to do your research and you pull out sound bites like that, or that, you know, Bitcoin is for criminals or that they're shadowy super coders or, you know, all those cliches to make a case against cryptocurrencies, well, you're going to end up kind of sounding like uh, the old people who say, I never put my credit card information on the internet. Um, and actually, speaking of that, as someone who's been doing B2C internet retail for over a decade, I still get this about once a month. Seriously, some grumpy old Yenta will call our 800 number for our Shark Tank product and say, I need to order this over the phone. I refuse to put my credit card information on the web. And I, you know, and I just roll my eyes because, you know, I just, I just say, go ahead, give me the numbers. And, and what I do, I go to my website, enter their card number. And then they get the product. They don't realize or even want to know that by calling me and giving me their credit card number, they're adding an unnecessary security point of vulnerability, i.e. me, that wouldn't have been there if they just put the card on the secure SSL encrypted form on my website. Uh, and now one time a couple of years ago, I did try to explain that to someone, but it was a total lesson in futility. Anyway, that's not the point. But when the topic does come up about cryptocurrencies, I'm, I'm trying to educate my friends about it, not necessarily to get them to buy in, but just because it's the future of money, if you will. And, you know, we're in the early stages of the biggest shift in our financial system that we've seen in our lifetimes. But right now, only about 10% or less of us use it. So long story short or short story long, Fight back if you hear dumbasses using dumb arguments when they decry Bitcoin, like only criminals use Bitcoin or Bitcoin mining is going to raise global temperatures by two degrees Celsius or in 10 years, Bitcoin mining is going to be the biggest consumer of energy on the planet if we don't stop it. A little uh, research goes a long way. And, you know, part of the power of Bitcoin is the energy consumption. That 
really provides the security for the network. And so we're all going to be really glad for it when it possibly becomes a, a global reserve currency, or at least it becomes a ubiquitous store of value. Um, one last thing that I wanted to talk about is I want to give you the opportunity to make the easiest 50 bucks that you've ever made. Okay. Now in previous episodes, I've talked about staking cryptocurrency for crazy interest rates, right? Well, now I'm staking a few different tokens on an exchange called OKCoin, and the interest rates, especially at this point in history, are nuts. Uh, for example, I'm getting 128% APY, that's right, 128% on Miami coin. And they make their payouts in a coin called Stacks, and then I click a button and stake those Stacks coins, and then I get 10% interest on those paid out in Bitcoin. It's it's crazy. Uh, and right now there are seven tokens available on OKCoin that are paying double digit yields. And if you want a low risk option, meaning the token itself won't go up or down in value, they're paying 17.3% on the stablecoin Tether. Now Tether is pegged to the US dollar. So there's really no upside in the coin itself. It's going to be worth a dollar pretty much forever. But 17.3% interest is completely crazy. Now, I've mentioned this before. If you have an emergency fund that's losing value in a savings account, it might be worth considering putting it to work for you. And at that interest rate, your emergency fund is going to double every four years. Again, this is a nutty time in history. And if you're not taking advantage of these opportunities, you might be leaving money on the table. Anyway, if you go to rogueretirementlounge.com slash coin, that's rogueretirementlounge.com slash coin, and you sign up for the OKCoin account, you and I will both get 50 bucks each free after you deposit 100 bucks. So this will, I promise you, be the easiest 50 bucks you've ever made, and you'll be supporting the show in the process. And on top of that, you'll be able to witness firsthand the insane interest rates that are being paid out for crypto these days. Seriously, this is not financial advice, but there's this new crazy world out there that the banks and the Dave Ramseys of the world don't want you to participate in. And like I mentioned, if you fear the volatility that's part and parcel of the crypto world, you can store your money in these stable coins and still get a better return than the S&P. So do it. That's rogueretirementlounge.com slash coin, and you and I will each make 50 bucks. So that's it for today. Now go out and make your money work for you. Catch you later. Nothing in this podcast is meant to be financial, legal, or tax advice. Though there's some kick-ass information here, it's for informational purposes only. Take control of your retirement planning, but get professional counsel if you need tax, legal, or financial advice. For more content like this, join my mailing list at rogueretirementlounge.com. And if you have questions about retirement investing, entrepreneurship, business, or anything else, my email address is matt at rogueretirementlounge.com.